Hey, welcome to the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. Glad you found us for another season. Really hope you enjoyed the guests that we have today. Take a listen. Reach out if you want some more information. Enjoy the time. Enjoy the learn. Hopefully you get better from this. The Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast is a big fan of cookies. I'm excited to announce the podcast now has an official cookie sponsor, Texas Treaties. Texas Treaties is a Dallas-based custom cookie company that can design and decorate any shape and color combo you can think of. Not only do they look amazing, they taste great also. Texas Treaties is offering Dallas area listeners a special 10% off promo. Use the code podcast at checkout. Link to order will be in the show notes. If you are in the market for fine men's wear, i.e. suits, shirts, ties, etc., you need to check out Etiquette Dawn. I personally have several pieces from him, and every time I wear them, I feel confident, well-dressed, and I receive many compliments. Etiquette Dawn is a truly custom apparel company that will have you look, looking like a sharp-dressed man. Check out www.etiquettedawncustomapparel.com for more information. Make sure to follow them on Instagram and TikTok at Etiquette Dawn as well. All coaches have their go-to drink for waking up and getting their energy boosted. For me, that's coffee. I prefer black coffee, so that means buying high-quality beans so that I can grind and brew them at home and enjoy my cups of happiness. Viking Coffee is my go-to company for a monthly subscription of great variety of beans that produce excellent cups time after time. Podcast listeners, use the code COFFEEWITHNOONAN, all one word, for a 10% discount off. Check out www.vikingcoffeeco.com for more details and to order the official coffee of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. Drink coffee, work hard. In this episode, I talk with the head athletic performance coach at J.J. Pierce High School, Coach Joey Berglis. Coach Berglis is one of the best in the business with vast experience working with a variety of teams at various levels. Coach Berglis and I talk about his following on social media what everyone's fascination is with his programming, how he varies his programming for different athletes, some old school methodology, and a little more. It gets a little intense, but it's good stuff. Enjoy today's episode. Make sure to follow Coach on Twitter and Instagram, at Joey Berglis. He's constantly posting great nuggets and is a wealth of information. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, I am joined by a guy I've been trying to get on this podcast for a while. We actually have a mutual friend um, initially, and we've kind of grown to, to expanded network, but uh, joined by a strength conditioning uh, coach, the head guy at J.J. Pierce High School, Joey Berglis. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up? Appreciate you uh, having me on and giving me the opportunity to talk today. Yeah, man, I, I remember following you um since last year on, on social media you know both twitter and instagram and uh my, my buddy uh lance edge used to be the girls basketball coach at pierce and uh you know he was he rave about you and the things that you're doing uh for not just you know football but all of the programs and uh when i told him i was like i i, I you know eventually i want to be able to meet you and and then for sure have you on the podcast and then um, another mutual friend of ours, uh, Missy Mitchell Macbeth, had her um, Region Two NHSSCA clinic uh, not too long ago, and got to hear you talk. And uh, you know, I'm sure you could have run the whole deal yourself because you've got a million things that people ask you questions about all the time. But uh, you know, what do you think for you makes you so interesting to other people? <laughs> Oh man, I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know how to respond to that. Uh, um, I mean, uh, I would. I guess I would venture to say, you know, maybe there's some, you know, maybe some unique stuff that I do um, from a, a programming training standpoint. I think whenever you do anything that um, is not, I guess maybe is on the fringe, I guess, if you will, of like, it's not very common, you know, I think that generally, um, you know, kind of like novelty, you know what I mean? Like kind of draws curiosity, I guess. Um, so like, I know, you know, was that three years ago or something like that when we started doing or uh, 
I started doing FRC, you know, it was, uh, there might've been somebody else, but I think it was like, for the most part, it was like really the first kind of, you know, at Utah state first college to really like implement it like across the board, like not just football, but I was using it like softball and women's soccer, and, you know, other places as well. And it, you know what I mean? It's, uh, that was like kind of the first time, I guess, when it had really been introduced in a team setting and kind of like that kind of, uh, you know, as much, if you will. So I think, you know, like stuff like that of like now, you know, maybe it's not as novel because there's a lot more people doing that stuff and kind of, you know, things along that those lines. So um, you know, I, I guess that would probably be my best answer. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I guess they try and do a good job and, you know, do a good job coaching and programming, like all the different stuff. I got specific stuff that, you know, I have a, standard for and stuff that I expect want you know blah blah maybe uh you know got like a long-term view that I like to take with stuff um and the process that goes into that um you know so I guess maybe some of some of those things might uh might interest people I guess yeah so speaking of of coach Macbeth you know she she gave me three three things um to answer and and I I'll I'll ask them now early because they could probably lead to a lot of in-depth stuff. And and I don't know how in-depth we can get per se on on this audio part of it, but she wanted to know how you progress your tempo training, what your pull-up and single leg progressions are. (laughs) Um, so how do I progress my tempo? That was the first question, right? Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, a lot of times these questions are just kind of general questions. They're not kind of try and go down a couple roads with it to, to, to get like the, the answer, I guess, that will be beneficial. So when I'm looking at like tempo work, um, a lot of it's going to dictate or be dictated by like who I'm working with, the individuals, the teams, what's their training level and such. Um, with that, if I've got, say, a, a freshman, we'll just say a freshman volleyball player. 15 year old that has really never lifted weights before. And I've got, you know, we'll just say a 17 year old, you know, baseball player. Um, you know, they're at kind of two different stages and then the, the nature of the exercise is going to dictate that too. So, whereas I might want to do say like five, six second lowers, like whatever it might be when you're say that 15 year old volleyball player, for example, like they're, they're so far away and it's not anything against that individual. It's just from a training standpoint that a three, like a two or a three second lower is very, very difficult for them. Does that make sense? So I can't really do a five or six second lower because just the, the, they are not at that level where we can even do that. Like from a body weight standpoint, like I say on a, like a freehand front squat or a, you know, a split squat or something like that. So that's an example where like how I would progress it would be, okay, once we go through, you know, some, you know, micro progressions or whatever it is, but like, okay, can we get to where we're doing a three second lower? We're doing our, getting all of our reps as a control. Okay, once we get to a, a point where I see the movement done correctly, the tempo is done correctly. The I mean, the other thing too is when I do tempo-based work, it's always the, the the execution of the tempo is important too. So I've got a specific, I guess I'm probably as strict, if not more strict than anyone. So when I say a three-second lower, I physically, if I bring my stopwatch out, I want you from the the wherever the movement stop, starts at to where it finishes, I want it to take three seconds for the eccentric, we're going to say. So that's not one, two, three. And that's a lecture that I've given probably 30 times to my athletes, teams, like whatever. So that in and of itself takes time to understand, okay, what's an actual three second lower? What's a four second lower? What's a five second lower? Um, you know, with that. So that's, that's one of the, the most important things I would say, uh, you know, with that is that I want to make sure the tempo is done. If I say three seconds, I want to see a three second lower. I don't want to see a 2.1 or a 1.6. I consistently want to see a three second lower. So we'll say after we get to that point, now let's progress to a four second lower. Now let's go to a five second, you know what I mean? Kind of, kind of just general in nature like that. Um, you know, I think that applies a lot to like, especially like with barbell movements, like with athletes that even if we're doing a front squat, like a three second lower, if you're struggling to do that for a couple reps, okay. Like we, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's progressions that we're going to have to, you know, maybe elongate because we're just at that point where we can't even do, I want to do four and five second lowers, but we can't even get to that point. You know what I mean? Whereas like you get, I was saying that, that example with the, you know, say a 17 year old baseball player, they're at a different level where not taking range of motion or other stuff into consideration, but they're probably at a point where we can go to like a four or five second lower because they have the general strength qualities that we're able to actually train that. Is it going to be easy? Probably not for most individuals, but we're at least in the ballpark, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, just like kind of like anything, I, 
I try and look at it at phases and it's more so, um, you know, I guess in longer blocks, you know, we're talking about three, four or five months. Uh, you know, if you're a 14, 15 year old athlete, it's a lot different than if I'm like a 24 year old and I only have a, like a two month off season, we'll say in the NFL, you know what I mean? That's a lot different. So I can delineate and I can, um, appropriate time differently with the population I'm working with. Am I going to be working with this individual? Like I said, if I'm working with someone in an off season in the NFL, that's a lot different if I'm only going to work with them for six weeks one time a year than if I've got a 14 year old athlete that I'm going to have for four or five, whatever it is years. So um, that's probably one of the biggest things. I just take an extended period of time, you know, and I like to go to like five, six, seven, you know, seven's kind of on the end end range, but you know, like pauses and other stuff like that. So that would be kind of a long winded answer of how I kind of go about um, progressing it based around the individuals, um, individuals and teams and where the athletes at Um, the, what was it? The chin up progression. The, the chin up and the single leg. Yeah. Chin up in the single leg. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if this is – I feel like I get this question a lot. Um, and a lot of times, like, I, I think it's a pretty simple answer. Like, there's not a whole lot of special exercises or things like that. So, if I'm working with someone, um, we'll say a chin up. All right, we'll start five-second hold, five-second lower at the top. That's the set. So five-second hold, your chin above the bar in the finished position. Then you finish with a five-second eccentric. That's the set. We might do three to three to five sets, depending on the individual, where they're at, things like that. You're going to have individuals where that's extremely difficult. I've got, I've had, you know, female athletes or other, you know, male athletes as well that can't do that. You know what I mean? Like their first set, they cannot do a five-second hold and a five-second lower. You know what I mean? So that Okay, it's fine. We'll take time. We'll progress. Once we can do that, now we'll go. I can go in different ways. It might be we'll do a 10 second hold up top and a five second lower. Or we might do a five, keep that five second hold. We might do a 10 second lower. Once we kind of get over the, the point of like 15 seconds where we can do like a 15 second eccentric, that's generally what I'll work up to. And then 15, 20, 25, 30. Then you're talking about, you know, how many sets can we do with that? So if I do a 30 second lower and then I do two sets of 15 second lowers, you know, that's a lot different than if I do say, three sets of 20 to 25 second lowers, even though my top end wasn't as much because I'm only doing 20 to 25 seconds compared to 30, I'm getting more volume in and it's a lot harder. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. there's not, um, I kind of just base it a lot of times based on like what I see, you know, from the group for the most part, and then I can individualize it. I mean, it's pretty simple if everyone's doing the same exercise and I can tell someone, you know, hold this pause or do the lower instead of the pauses, but just take this extra time. You know, you get to the point where you get individuals that can do a chin up and then the rest of the group can't. And um, I'm able to, cause we're all doing it like, Hey, you're going to do two chin ups into this. You're going to finish with a 15 second lower where everybody else is doing say like a, a 20 or 25 second lower. So that's generally like, I'll be honest, uh, pauses, holds, slow lowers. And then once we get to the point where we can do body weight, then we do weighted, weighted lowers. And then once you get to a certain kind of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, weight or kind of time and retention area with the weighted chin up that pretty much puts us in the ballpark of being able to do a full chin up. So like, I mean, if you can't, if you can't do a 20 second lower, you're probably not anywhere close to being able to do a chin up. You know what I mean? So that's kind of like, when you look at it from like a step point, like you got to get to a certain point where you're doing like 30 second lowers or be able to do a 30 second lower with a certain amount of weight, um, you know, to be in that chin up ballpark. So that's kind of how I progress. And that's kind of the goals that we get, uh, or I kind of set with the athletes and the individuals that I'm working with. Um, uh, single leg. Uh, so with a single leg, I mean, uh, I've always done different stuff, but kind of the limitations that I have with, uh, more so like the space and what's available to me. So we've got like plow boxes and stuff like that, that I would normally do my step ups with, but when you've got, you know, 40, 50, 60 kids going, like we don't really have time to move around throughout the weight room. So I just use the bench. So I call it like a, uh, like a medium box, uh, triple jumper step up. Um, and that's basically, I mean, it's like an eccentric, pushing the knee forward, keeping the heel down, heel touch, uh, similar to like a poliquin, poliquin step up with the heel position. And then, you know, that's how I progress it once you get to a point where you can do that good. And then we work to the single leg squat. So, I mean, realistically, and we do, I mean, I, I definitely think that like all the split squats and the other stuff, even though it's not a direct, um, I guess, progression for like the, the single leg squat, it definitely does go into it because you're, you're training one leg end range dorsiflexion and all the muscles and all the tissues that are involved in that. Um, so that definitely does help a lot uh, with that. But honestly, that's the step. I mean, that's the single leg squat progression. It's the medium box step up or triple jumper step up into the single leg squat. Um, you know, and then I think the most important thing is just how it's coached, how it's executed, what's, you know, the, the, the attention and the focus in the individual that they're executing the movement with goes and, and makes the results from it happen. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you referenced, uh, 
Charles Poliquin, and, and I know you've kind of talked about some other quote unquote old school guys. Um, and we've seen kind of this, uh, we were talking off air about the social media side of things and, and what's kind of, per, you know, regurgitated information wise. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, people follow the, the knees over toes guy and stuff, but he'll tell you that he got his, it's just the stuff that Charles Paulkin was doing years ago. So where is it for you that these old school guys have kind of piqued your interest or how, how did you kind of find these things? Because I think a lot of your, your chin up stuff is, is Poliquin based as well. Like I've heard him talk about um, the holds and the, and the slow lowers and progressing that way. Whereas you see some people like, I'll just throw bands on there and go until you can't, you don't need any bands anymore kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, no, hundred percent. My, my chin up stuff. There's been some stuff that uh, I, I probably have veered off a little bit from and kind of stuff that I've modified or changed or whatever, um, based on the situation I'm in, but my chin, yeah, that chin up progression, I don't want to say it's my chin up progression. That's, I mean, that's Charles Poliquin's. Um, and I, you know, hundred percent got probably 95% of the progression from him, uh, you know, with that. So, uh, hundred percent, I just wanted to state that cause I know that's especially, um, you see, a lot now where people <laughs> you see people just taking somebody else's exercise i'm going to rename it and now i'm just going to try and make a bunch of money off of it which you know everybody says we steal from each other and that's true or whatever but i mean there's still in my mind there's still some integrity involved um at least of you know i thought and this is something with charles not just go on a quick side note um he was always very gracious and giving credit to other individuals so if he got something from somebody else he would say i got this from this person i took this from this person or whatever now i mean that's that's realistically you don't see that you go look at a lot of people that have massive followings on social media and i mean that kind of tells me enough about the individual of like how often do you see them say hey because yeah here's the other <laughs> yeah. a lot of these gurus or whatever they didn't get they're scrolling through instagram and social media and they're stealing other people's stuff and they're trying to package it as their own you know what I mean? So that's one of the things that really tells me enough, a lot about the individuals. Like, are you giving credit? If you took something from somebody else, did you give them credit for that? Or did you tell them where you got this idea from or whatever it might be? No, I understand you can't do that all the time, but if it's always, you know, this is my exercise and this is what I did. Um, you know, that, that tells me a lot about who that individual is, uh, you know, with that. So um, I guess if you want to call it like old school or, or whatever, um, I guess that's, I, I was in a system, I was in a Poliquin based system, you know, was that four or five, six years ago, whatever. So I got to got uh, immersed into it. I, I learned a lot from that system. Uh, I was able to be at a couple of seminars with Charles um, and learn from him directly. Um, so that's been kind of where my influence from him is, is kind of gone, uh, you know, with that. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I try and have an open mind with most of my stuff related to training. I think that's one of the things that, you know, there's so much good information out there. Um, that trying to connect all the dots is going to be always the challenging part of, uh, you know, working within the confines of whatever system that you have, you know, the constraints that you have and other things. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, if you're working with one or two people, it's a lot different than when, when you're working with 50 or 60, you know what I mean? It, it's just, that's, that's just the reality, you know? Um, so you can do a lot. <laughs> I've been in those situations. Like you can do a lot, you can do a lot of stuff when you got one, you're, you're coaching that individual all the time. Now, when I've got 50 or 60 kids going, like, that presents enough challenges, you know, that this might not be what I want to do, but it, because of the confines of what I have, I've got 10 glute ham raises and I got 60 kids. I got to find a way that if I want to use that, that I got to make modifications with that. And I think that's just a reality of, you know, especially at the high school level of the stuff that you deal with. And I'll be honest, I've got a, probably as good a setup as anybody. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I, I've been, uh, I, I played NAI baseball. I played junior college baseball. I coached NAI, I coached division two, uh, you know, I've kind of been all over the, I guess, gauntlet, if you will. And, I've been in enough weight rooms where you've got four racks or six racks and here's 40 people. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? So that's probably honestly where a lot of my okay, kind of going on a side note here, but um, a lot of the, the stuff that I've been able to utilize at the high school level, some of the biggest help for me was stuff at my first uh, internship when I was at an NAI school in Florida. And it's like, you know, you got 60, 70 football kids come in, you've got six racks and you've got five bench stations 
So, you know, it's still one of those things of just being creative, like with accessory work. So like on this day, this group of guys is doing this thing. And then on the other day, even though it might be a lower body or an upper body day, if we want to do the upper body accessories, you only have so many dumbbells, you know what I mean? And when you're, when you're dealing with large individual, large groups of individuals. So I saw a lot of creative ways that you have to do that. You know what I mean? If you're at a, I've been there, like you've been at big power five or division one levels, when you don't have to deal with those constraints, you don't learn that skill set of being able to, or, or how to like have that kind of fluidity of your mind to be able to figure out how to make things work and make the jigsaw puzzles kind of fit the best they can, because you've never had to deal with those situations because you always have everything you need plus 10, you know what I mean? So um, that's probably been one of the biggest things for me from a helpful standpoint of, of working at one of those smaller levels and then developing the skills that definitely helped me now with a lot of the same situations. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's great that, you can speak to that and having those different um, those different experiences, uh, whether it was from the coaching side or, or the playing side, um, you know, because I've had discussions with, with just coaches in general. So let's just say football coaches who have only ever coached at a big 5A, 6A program where there are hundreds of kids in the program. They have that leverage of competition next man behind you is as good or you know they're they're competing um you know so the question is are are they really maximizing not not necessarily the kids ability but their own personal ability to coach because they don't have to get out of that comfort zone because they've got everything that they need right or you've got this massive weight room and you've got a turf room and you've got an indoor and or your tur your your weight room feeds into your turf, so you've got space to use. Um, whereas some of us are very much confined, uh, or you've got small deals, or you're out of school where you're coaching multiple multiple sport athletes that you know have literally zero off season. Like summer's the only time that it's off, and yet they're being trained like like they only play one sport. You know, and it's so you have I, I think it's a disservice if you don't go elsewhere and learn um, and you don't try to expand your understanding of how to better coach, period. Exactly. 100 percent agree with that. So let, let's kind of take a side detour and just kind of run down, you know, who you are, where you got your start and kind of where how did you get to Pierce now? Um, and then we're going to kind of fast forward into some things that, uh, that you've kind of started talking about. Yeah. So, um, so I, I guess I'm from the Midwest originally played junior college baseball, played NAI baseball. Um, when I was at, uh, I guess kind of, not kind of, but it was the benefit of when you're at a small, small school, like we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach or any type of program. Um, that was kind of the same as junior college. So you got to, and this kind of goes back to high school and other stuff, but you kind of, <laughs> I had to learn a lot of stuff on my own. Um, just cause I didn't, I had to really, I did have my last year at high school. I had a really good strength coach. I still stay in touch with it. It showed me a lot of stuff and I learned a bunch of stuff from him. He was an awesome influence on me, but for the most part, when I got to college and other stuff, like I, I had to figure stuff out on my own. Um, you know, kind of the process that goes into it, making mistakes, other issues um, that yeah, I guess I've kind of just internalized and been able to use throughout my career. Um, you know, for different situations and things like that. So I played NAI baseball um, while I was my last year um, where I was going with that is because we didn't have a strength coach. So I knew I wanted to get into the uh, strength condition profession. I'll be honest. I didn't really have any idea of what the actual profession was. I thought, um, you know, it was, I watched Joe DeFranco. That was kind of my guy um, back then on YouTube. And I kind of figured uh, that was like, that's what I want to do. Um, obviously a lot different than, uh, than, than that if you will. Um, but anyway, so, uh, in the fall of my senior year of college, um, I, I was able to convince our women's soccer coach at my school to allow me to train, uh, our women's soccer team. Um, and that was kind of my first foray into actually like training other people. Um, so that was that, uh, I, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I still remember, learned, um, took away from that, that I still, you know, subconsciously apply throughout my coaching career. So that was one of the best experiences because I was able to make a lot of mistakes or, or things along those lines and then, uh, you know, figure out answers to questions and things like that. And I didn't really, I didn't have anybody watching over me, so I had to figure stuff out on my own. It was uh, 
think it helps with the learning process when you don't have, I don't want to say like a mentor is obviously good, but when it's kind of like, okay, well, I can't really call anyone to ask about this. I got to try and figure this out. So, you know, I spent a lot of time like on YouTube, like, cause I'm like, man, this RDL, I, how do we not understand how to do this? And when you see everybody, you're trying to teach everyone that doesn't know how to do an RDL, it's just horrible. And I remember like just going on YouTube and looking at it, I'm like, oh, that's a great, I never thought about that progression before. Then I try it and it's like, oh yeah, that worked really good. You know what I mean? So stuff like that, that you kind of just have to learn uh, cause the answers are in the back of the book, if you will. Um, so from there, I went to another NAI school down in uh, central Florida. I uh, was there for a year, went out to, uh, did it my, uh, graduate assistantship at uh, Linwood University's D2 school in the, the St. Louis area uh, there. So taking a step back, when I was in Florida, I assisted with football and I had women's soccer, baseball and beach volleyball were the teams that I trained and I helped with some other ones as well. Um, when I was at Linwood University, I ran the men's and women's soccer programs, men's ice hockey, baseball, and I assisted with football. From there, I went to Utah State University, where I assisted with football and ran uh, softball, women's soccer. And then from there, I was at Texas Tech, um, where I was just football. And then from there, I was at, uh, JJ, or I'm at JJ Pierce right now, where I work with all the teams uh, that we have. So that's kind of been, I guess, my career and my kind of background. Yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, you know, you've been all over the place at a variety of different levels and worked a variety of different um, ability of athletes. And so this kind of leads into this next question from uh, coach Ronnie Jankovic, you know, what, what, right, what right now is, do you find the most challenging part or the most difficult part of your, your job? Um, I would say someone asked me, uh, someone kind of asked me a, a related, similar, very similar question. And most of the time, like people, they think it's like, okay, it's like this exercise or doing this or that, or, you know, that's like the most challenging part. And like, I, in reality, the most challenging part for me because of the system and what I want to do, it's under, this doesn't just go for the kids that I work with. This goes across the board. Uh, I mean, you can go anywhere in the country and this is my opinion or kind of what I, what I need and what I want and what I demand is focus and sense of urgency. Those are the biggest issues. I like, I don't like, this isn't just a high school. This isn't this college, like any other level. Like I, I've got a specific sense of urgency that I want. Right. <laughs> and it's not normal for other people. So like, I, t like, I don't do it all the time. Cause once, once we understand how to do it, then you get more leeway, but I don't, it shouldn't take us three minutes to change weights because if it's taking us three minutes, I don't have two hours. We have 45 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. So if I tell you everyone at your rack, all three people need to get their warm up set done, everyone in their first work set on in three minutes, and it takes you three minutes and 30 seconds, that's an issue because it took us 30 seconds. That's a 30 seconds of waste of time. So we'll do up down. <laughs> I've done plenty of up downs because people don't understand sense of urgency. If I'm doing a vertical jump, I shouldn't have to get on the mat, take seven seconds, jump talk to somebody, get off the mat so that each rep takes 30 seconds. Cause I don't have time when we're trying to get 70 vertical jumps. I don't have time for that. So sense of urgency, focus on what you're doing, do the rep, whatever. So that's, that's, that's the issue. We we've gotten significantly better since whenever I started to now still needs to get a lot better, but that's the, that's one of the biggest things, sense of urgency. Right. The other thing is focus, right? Because I've got, you know, there's a lot of stuff, uh, some stuff relatively complex that I'm trying to execute and I want to implement within our programs. And it's not just, Hey, let's do this complex exercise. I just don't have to think about it. I can just do it. It's going to get me the benefit. That's not how it works. All right. That's not, I can't, I'll straight up. I, I don't have a magic pill to give you. If you can't do these things correctly to create the execution that we want, the adaptations aren't going to happen, which means that you're not going to run faster. You're not going to jump higher. You're not going to get bigger. You're not going to, whatever your goals are. Right. I know that, we live in a day and age where you can go online and someone can sell you some magic program or whatever that's instantly going to add six inches to your vertical jump and all this blah, 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 blah. Right. That doesn't work. Like there, this is reality. Like you, yes, if you're untrained, you can do, do whatever you want. You're going to see some benefit hundred percent. Like you're, you're the, the amount of focused training doesn't have to be there. All right. But how long do you know how long that lasts it's not very long like once you get to a certain point there's got to be a certain level of like okay this needs to happen and this needs to happen to create the results that you want so when we're doing say a speed whatever speed development plyometric whatever the drill is it's not like one or two there's going to be generally like hey there's four or five things that i want you to think about focus on whatever am i going to always tell you four or five things no but that's the nature of the exercise so if you're not focused you're not going to execute it correctly 
And if you're not executing it correctly, you're not going to create the adaptations that we want and so forth. So that's generally what I see from, and this isn't height, like I said, sense of urgency and focus. Those are the two biggest things that I, I wouldn't, if you want to call it challenges, struggles or whatever, but that, that's just, I think, trying to think how to word this. I think people think they're focused and then kind of like sometimes like you feel like, Oh, my kid's a hard worker. Really? Your kid's a hard worker. And then you go put them with somebody that's like a really, really hard worker. And then you kind of get that eyes opened of like, Oh, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Like you had experienced and I don't want to, I'm not trying to like toot my horn or anything like that, but like sense of urgency and focus. Like it's not, that's two things are super important to me that I'm very like, that's going to dictate how everything goes. So those are the challenges that I face of getting those to the level that I want, which is going to ultimately allow us to do all the complex things that I want to do to create the changes, adaptations, whatever that we want. Oh, I love that, man. I think that can echo it for everybody at any level is, is, is focus and sense of urgency. Um, and you're a hundred percent right in this day and age, you can go online and you can buy something that's going to potentially make, a very short term improvement uh but in the long term and long run it's really not going to yield much benefit um and it's not even just from the training aspect it might be diet it might be um you know fixing something in your house or whatever uh you know i think we've got to get better uh just as a population in general of, of putting more attention to detail and working with a sense of urgency because you know, you and I both, and, and most of the people that are going to listen to this episode, uh, will struggle with the greatest um, constraint of being time. There's just not going to be enough time to get everything you want accomplished. Um, not because it won't be planned out, but because it will be mismanaged, particularly by the kids, but sometimes by the coach. Um, you know, and there, there obviously is a fine line between correction verbally versus, you know, the, the physical, uh, reminder of an up, down and stuff. You know, it's some days you just got, you just got to let them know that they're just not getting it done. And the other days, you know, hopefully it only takes one or two redirects verbally and you you keep on rolling. You don't have to kill the entire training session at the expense of typically one or two people. Um, I mean, that's been my, my, my case. I don't know, uh, how it, how many times it's been the entire group versus usually just one or two for you? Um, I think it kind of depends on the team, and the individuals, you know, there's times where, um, but again, I think it all goes back to a certain level of like, okay, if I want, if I want to go play say division one football, all right, I'm going to tell you doing up downs, isn't going to help you play division one football. You, you put in the 30 pounds on that you need and getting your, whatever, your, whatever we're doing, that's, what's going to help you play division one football. Right. But these are the standards. So if we're not doing this, this is the standard. So if someone's not doing their job or someone's causing us to not be able to get to things that we want done, that's your development. You know what I mean? Like on a team, like we play football or whatever your sport is, you can't have one great player than 11, 10 other people that don't do what they're supposed to do. You know what I mean? You'll never be a good team with that. You know what I mean? Same as business, same as life, whatever it is. Like the team component is important. So it might not matter as much to you but the standards in place. So if you see someone and they're not getting their weights changed as fast as they can, when I'm working with 60 people, I can't see everyone changing their weights at once. Your responsibility, if you really want to get better and you want to get to that level that you say you are, you need to take responsibility and tell that individual, Hey, you're not moving fast enough. You know what I mean? And cause who do you think a lot of times peer to peer, you know, situations like that is what generally can get better results. You know what I mean? Than a coach telling you, but when you have another peer telling you, dude, you're not moving fast enough. We got to go. You know what I mean? That's, that's what gets the change that we want. Cause that's ultimately what we need. Cause like you said, if I got 37 minutes, I don't have five minutes to waste, right? I'm not five minutes is a ridiculous amount of time to waste just from too much, too long to change weights, too long to go from here or there, whatever. Like we can't, that we can't do that. You know what I mean? So like, that's, that's one of the biggest things uh, of explaining and educating. <laughs> I, I'll be, I tell my kids, I'm honest with you. I'm not going to tell you something good when it's bad. And I'm not going to tell you something's bad when it's good. So I'm not going to tell you, man, these up-downs are going to make you a better football player. They're not. I, I don't want it. That's why they're not in the program. We're not doing up-downs if that because I don't. It's not. But I need to see a behavior. We need a behavioral change because, like I said, long-term view, 
you know what? We might not be getting as much as we can done these in these this session or this week or next week, but I think for the next three months, you're going to remember this hopefully. And that's what's going to allow us for the next three months to make all this progress because we're not having to deal with taking an extra 30 seconds to change weights. If that makes sense. No doubt, man. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. Um, and I think I just found exactly where I want my, uh, I guess my little snippet of, uh, of this episode, you know, I, I released like a, a small preview and I think that's the, that's it right there. And it, it might just, that might go viral. And I hope it does because it applies in life. You know, you brought in the business side of things, um, you know, and, and I don't think there's no, there's no highly successful person that did it by themselves. Like you just, you have to have an interaction. You have to have a relationship with people. Um, in order to be successful. Um, so segueing into things that, that have kind of come up recently um, in terms of, of development that I think will, will probably in, in your future, if you were to have it your way, would alleviate some of these issues earlier on is getting to the junior high level and at least improving those eighth and seventh grade kids that are that to become better trained uh, by more qualified individuals because um, you know a lot of times at the middle school level it's it's one of two coaches it's the young guy just starting out or it's the old guy on his way out very rarely I, I, I can I can mention off the top of my head I know like three people in in my twelve year career that truly gave a damn that that just because they were at the junior high didn't matter. They were going to bust their tail and they were going to coach those kids, whether it was in the weight room or on the field or on the court, like they were great and they loved being at the middle school. But the majority of people in my career, the middle school is either an entry level or an exit level job, uh, just biding time. So it'll kind of talk to, uh, talk to the audience about, where you want to see this progression go to. Cause I think you're a big advocate. You've been able to get down to, I think at least one of your feeder middle schools recently um, before school year was let out uh, to kind of help start some stuff or at least improve some things. Yeah. So, um, so our middle school, um, kind of like you mentioned the challenge, there's, there's always going to be challenges in terms of like, okay, you got, you write the perfect plan or the game plan or whatever, but like actually being able to execute it. Cause it's, that's that's one of the, the challenges taking a sidestep like when I'm writing programs because I can't work with every team like if, if I'm working with football or basketball or like I might be able to have two sessions but there might there's going to be times where a team is going to have to train by or the coach is going to have to train and now hopefully I've done a good enough job or we've done a good job teaching so that like the actual sport coach doesn't have to teach someone a split squat from the ground up you know what I mean because that's why I'm so big on doing a lot of the same exercises for a certain point because you need to get good at them so if I'm not there they can still be executed. So with that, like my middle school, how I view the developmental model of like, say, a 12 to 14 year old, there's what I have in my head. And then there's actually, OK, someone else is going to run this. How's it going to happen? Because what in my head of what I would do is 100 percent different than what would actually get executed kind of the situation that you're talking about. Because I, I mean, I'm lucky I've got a couple really, really awesome, amazing coaches at the middle school level that just they take it serious. They I mean, they I I've watched some of their sessions. And it's like, okay, we're almost doing, we're almost going too fast. You know what I mean? Like they're, but their, their sense of urgency, that's, that's one of the few times where I'm like, okay, like we can, let's, let's give them a second here to like, you know what I mean? Make sure that we're set up correctly before we start going or whatever. Um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, one of the situations that I have and that's where the the struggles are. Cause it's like, okay, I understand. I, like granted, like if you're not a strength and conditioning coach, like, you're pat you're always going to be passionate about the stuff that you are you know what i mean so i'm passionate about i want to split squad done correctly i understand that 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 same passion isn't going to be there for everybody if that makes sense so with that like with the middle school level the, the goal i guess so the overriding goal right can can our our joints can our bodies move well that's the most important thing that's what i told i don't care what i don't care what an eighth grader squats i don't you know why because if you start trying to put up levels of like i want you squatting 200 pounds you know what i have a good idea how that 200 pound squat is gonna look i've done this enough i've watched enough videos i've been around enough 
you're not mature enough as an eighth grader. And generally the coach doesn't know what they're looking for. You know what I mean? In terms of like what an actual good movement is. Cause you're going to see, Oh man, okay. You might've gotten a parallel, but the chest dropped. It was a good morning out of the bottom. Their hips shift to the left, but yeah, they moved 200 pounds. Okay. Well that doesn't, that's more, that's more harm than good. Like you are loading so many bad tissues and bad joints and bad spots. It would be better if you squatted 50 pounds than doing 200 like that, because right now you might be stronger or whatever, I mean, if you just want to ask about a red flag, that's a massive red flag for injury one, two, three years down the line. You know what I mean? And you're just going to have horrible movement patterns. Like it's so much like I saw, I can't remember who tweeted this. Um, I think it was a baseball guy. Like it's hundred percent true. I think everyone can, it's so much easier. It's so much harder to fix bad movements, bad mechanics, bad technique compared to working with someone that's not as developed, but they're just raw. You can teach them how you want. You know what I mean? Like, that's where you see, especially, I think most people can probably relate to this, like Olympic lifts or whatever. Like you've been taught how to do a clean or you just haven't been taught. And you just been, all you cared about is cleaning as much weight as you can. It takes so much time to learn, relearn. You got to drop the weight. Do most people want to drop the weight? You know what I mean? Like I don't, when I do my stuff. So there's the psychological aspect that goes into that too. I'm not just, Hey, we got to do this, but you got to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I normally do my work sets with 215. You're going to be doing your work sets with 170. How many 17, 18 year old kids do you know that want to do that? <laughs> not a lot. You know what I mean? That's a challenge. So if we could have fixed that problem by not having someone do horrible cleans when they were 15 or 16, that would have prevented a lot of problems that we had two, three years down the line, if that makes sense. So where I'm going with the middle school level, most important thing is, can we move well? Right. Cause if you can move well, give me what, give me, I, I want, I want a 15 year old that can move extremely well, good ankles, hips, shoulders, whatever. I don't care how weak you are, small you are, whatever. Cause in four years, I feel pretty confident about what we're going to be able to do. The issues are is when you don't move good, when you have this issue or this ankle or like whatever, because now we're trying to fix this. And like, I, I've been able to be at the collegiate level, like, you know, with 18 to 23 year olds and individuals in the NFL, whatever it is. So I've been able to see a lot of problems that happen downstream. And even with all the, the FRC or other stuff that I know, if you will, there's still times where I'm like, you're 19 years old. And this is what your shoulder looks like. Like, this is horrible. Like your hip, your hip is horrible. And you're 19 years old. This wasn't something you just walked out of bed with a couple months ago. You know what I mean? Like this was a problem that should have been, that probably started going like this three or four years ago. So when you were a freshman or sophomore in high school, you know what I mean? Like, so I've been able to see that. Okay. Now I've been able to, okay, how do I want to go about this training process so that when you're 18, you go play college or whatever it is that someone gets you and you're like, man, we don't have a lot of issues to deal with. We got to do this and this and this, but it's like, you're not having to deal with someone that their ankles are horrible. They're like, whatever. And also your ankles move well, hips move well. We're able to load tissues so much better. Like I, I've seen, <laughs> I was there when Jordan Love got there when he was 180 pounds at 6'3 and was the, one of the weakest, smallest individuals I've probably ever been around. But you know what? That He could move so good. I still have in my head how well he moved. And he worked hard, awesome to work with, blah, 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 trust the process. And then he puts 45 pounds on in two and a half years. It, he goes from 180 that nobody wanted, a zero-star recruit with one FBS offer to he's 225 pounds. He's front squatting 350, and now he's first-round pick, and he's in the Packers. You know what I mean? Like, So I've been able to see that of like <laughs> how small and weak that individual was, but he moved good. And you know what I mean? What can happen? And granted, you, it's never going to be that exact same situation all the time. You know what I mean? But I've been able to see, okay, two and a half years isn't relatively that long of a time. You know what I mean? To go from that to all the way up here. So I think a lot of times – the people start trying to rush the process and don't, or they don't have a process. And that's what tends to cause a lot of issues. So like with the middle school, can we move good? All right. Give me a 15 year old that can move good. And then, you know, the, the strength, hypertrophy, speed development, plyometrics, like that will, we've got four years, like that stuff. I'm not worried about that. The issues are when someone doesn't move well, that's where the issues happen because generally if you can't move well, and I know this will people, <laughs> You can have, there's never one right or whatever. All right. So I can find someone that moves horribly and never gets hurt. I am not disagreeing with that, but if you give me a hundred people and I have a hundred people that move, however you want to consider good. And I have a hundred people that don't move good. I'm going to say there's a lot more, we'll say over a two year period of those people in that hundred that don't move good. They're going to get hurt compared to the hundred that move well. All right. I'm just going to that's anecdotal evidence from my, I guess, brain, if you will, of that's, I, I, I strongly believe that. You know what I mean? So if you're hurt, can you train? No, you, I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah. You can do modified workouts, but I'm not doing, I don't want to do modified workouts. I want to, I want to do the regular workouts because that's what's going to get us the most benefit. So if you're hurt or you can't, you're having to do modified workouts for six weeks. 
are we going to make much progress? Are you going to get faster if we're having to do modified work? No, but if you can stay healthy for two years, we have so much, you know what I mean? The benefit, so much progress can be made. So that's when I go back to the move well, don't move well. If you're hurt, right? There's obviously issues with that, but then you can't train fully. And I want, I want to train fully. You know what I mean? So that's kind of one of the, the biggest things, like, especially at the middle school level. Um, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very uh, excited for next week. We start our summer strength and conditioning camp uh, specifically with like our seventh and eighth graders incoming seventh and eighth graders. So what I did last summer is totally different than what I'm doing this summer. Um, I'm super, I am, I'm very, very excited um, to work and implement some stuff with them. Um, Again, like (laughs) when you're working with 12 to 14 year olds, like there's stuff in your head, like, Oh man, this is awesome. This is great. And I know there's going to be stuff. I know it that I'm like, I'm not going to see some angle. There's going to be something where I'm like, what, why, or why is that happening or whatever. But with that, I get, get from a coaching standpoint, like all of it's learning, you know what I mean? So what I'm doing this summer is probably going to be different than the next summer, next summer, next summer, um, you know, with that. So that's one, like with the middle school, I'm excited because with kind of like some of the other stuff, the sense of urgency, the focus, and granted you have to come about stuff differently when you're working with a 12 to 14 year old versus a 14 to 18 year old versus a, you know what I mean, whatever. But I'm hoping that some of the stuff that I'm doing this summer, not just from an actual strength condition, but the, 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 all the different aspects from a psychological standpoint and other kind of areas like that, that go into it, that directly carries over to behaviorally what our seventh and eighth graders do when I'm not, obviously when I'm not there most of the time when they're training that they've kind of ingrained it. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the nice things when you start working with somebody, like if you, if you work with someone and they don't really have any other uh, they've never done anything any other way. They can't really compare it to anything else. Cause that's just what they're, that's, you know, the, the standard, that's what they're used to. But when you have people that like are used to another way, you know what I mean? That's where a lot of times, I don't want to say butt heads, but that's where you can kind of cause issues. So if I have a seventh or eighth grader and they've only been taught one way to do something, you, you know what I mean? Like you can make so much more progress. You can, you can eliminate so many issues with that. So that's kind of what um, I'm super excited. I'm interested to, you know, uh, implement some stuff. Uh, I've got some really good uh, stuff that I think I've got planned out. Um, but like I said, we'll actually see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens when the the sessions actually go, and if if my mental model in my head actually uh, correlates to what's actually happening uh, in the mind of a twelve to a fourteen year old. Yeah, yeah. You know the the old Mike Tyson quote, right? We all got a plan to get punched in the face, and um, twelve and fourteen year olds, and they're focus and sense of urgency is extremely different from you know your seniors and you know that that next underclassman trying to compete for a starting varsity spot um you know they're they're those younger kids uh sometimes they're more rewarding to work with because they they're sponges uh, but also other times they're also the most challenging because they uh they don't understand how to be still and listen. Yeah. Uh, they're still like just bigger little kids. They, uh, they think they know a lot more than they really do. Yeah. I think I'll be honest, kind of with that, kind of with that point. Um, cause I think most people, hopefully like if you're like a coach or you're a teacher, like you want to get better at your craft, you know what I mean? And I think kind of with that for me, um, I think that's kind of one of the chat, you know what I mean? Like, okay. I mean, I've, I've been around, <laughs> had successes and failures, but I'm, you know, 18 to 23 year olds that are four stars and have been told they're the best thing in the world. Right. Psychologically, like how you communicate with those individuals is a lot different than you just get like a normal high school kid that, you know what I mean? He hasn't been told how great he is since he was 15 years old. You know what I mean? So it's, that's one of the, I think, if you're a good coach, I was telling some of this, you can go coach. You would be a good coach at any level. I think there's a lot of people that you might be a good college coach, but you get somebody talent covers up a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like how, how much do you actually coach? Let's just say what, what position you coach in football? Uh, defensive tackles. Defensive tackles. All right. You get some six, four, 300 pound, four star. That's got every big 12 or sec, most sec schools. How much at the high school level, how much do you really need to coach that individual? Or is he going to go out and he's going to get his and he's going to be a dominant force? So that's a, it, you know, it, it's, it's funny you say that. Uh, I, 
I have one basically like that right now. You want to trade? I'll trade you. I'll trade you. I'll trade you some slant. I'll trade you some slant boards and some free lap chips for uh, a nice three tech. No man. Uh, he he comes. I love this kid. Um, and, and it's it's it's. I'm glad you kind of brought that point up because I agree with you 100. percent Right? How talent covers up a lot. Right. And, and sometimes you bypass things because of talent. Um, you don't feel the need to work on certain things because at the end of the day, the kid is just going to be able to do that. Okay. But for me, um, coaching that kid this past year, when it was his first year on varsity as a junior, he was still very raw. And there were things that I needed him to accomplish that like when you referenced, why are we not getting this RDL? Like, and then you had to go to YouTube and you had to find other means, other ways of expressing that, uh, that movement pattern. And I'm like, okay, here's what worked. So for this guy, for this kid, I had to find other ways for him to understand what was being asked of him to accomplish. Um, and it worked out to the point where he was um, honorable mention all district. And in the sprint in the, in February, he got an offer from Baylor and then he's been able to accumulate some, uh, some more since then. But, you know, he's, he's the one that we have that's like that. Everybody else is, does not have anywhere close to those measurables. Some are as heavy as he is, floating around 300. Some are much lighter. Uh, I think I was talking to somebody the other the other day um, on Twitter or something, and I was like, in my 12-year career, I've had maybe one or two legitimate FBS D1 athletes that I personally – at my position coach. There were others on the team, but I don't lay claim to those kids because I did they weren't at my position. I'm not that coach. Like I I was hopefully a positive impact in that regard. And I and I cheer those kids on. There's several at Prairie View AM who I, I still follow their careers, but I don't lay claim to them because I didn't coach them. Uh but the majority of kids are are not that measurable. Um you know the 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 talent that exists at like a Cedar Hill, Duncanville, DeSoto, that's to me, that's more of a rarity than, like you said, yes, there's going to be that one person with terrible movement that won't ever get hurt. But that's not the norm. The norm is sub six foot, sub 270, anywhere from 220 to 270 at the junior senior year with average le- average arm length and decent strength but it still comes down to that whole deal of can they move and can they produce on the field the strength that they've accumulated in the weight room um you know and so for me it's it's the way in which I've coached that kid because he was he didn't have any stars before I before I got a hold of him so that so it was different uh, for me and him and our relationship. Now, how do I coach him this year that he's got these stars and this notoriety and there's a big ass target on his back because he's the best returning defense alignment we have is going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm excited about that, but that also, I also have to understand he's going to be held to the same high standard that everybody else is. Cause I'm sorry, I don't give a damn how many stars you have, you know, at the end of the day to be successful, you have to, you have to be held accountable. That's just the way that I was brought up. That's just the way that, um, you know, it, it needs to be done. Uh, I did, I did the Murph, uh, the other day with a high school buddy of mine that I found out lived in rock, uh, rock round rock. Sorry. Um, and I, I was talking about a senior, um, Back when we were in high school, you know, it was it was summer workouts where there was a suggested. When I started as a, as a freshman, there was a suggested workout on the board 
There was no coaching being done. He was just, the coach was there just to ensure that nobody got hurt. Right. He was a supervisor. Um, obviously things have drastically changed for the better in that regard, but who kept people accountable were the seniors. Um, and I remember uh, I had 225 on the bar. I was going to back squat it and I didn't get anywhere close to parallel. I thought I was hot shit. And that senior goes, I was terrible. That wasn't a squat. And that stuck with me to this day. So, you know, to me, and like you talked about earlier, that peer pressure, that accountability is the difference um, in terms of being from decent to average, average to good, good to great. Uh, and that's what I think also separates the quality programs from average and subpar is the personal accountability um, and, and the standard to which you hold, especially your top level talent, you know, regardless of stars. If you're, if you're turning a blind eye to the nonsense that they're doing, they're letting, you're letting them get away with that. How, how much longer can you allow those other guys uh, to, to get away with things before it gets just out of hand? Or if you're holding that same person to the same standard of it shouldn't take three minutes to change weight, regardless of, of the stars that they have attached to their name, how, how fast, how much faster is everybody else going to get bought in when the top dog is held to that same standard? I think that's probably what everybody looks to when you think about Alabama. It's not, it's not that it's, they get all these four and five stars. It's the four and five stars are the standard and they're held to it and they're not allowed to, to sink below it. Yeah. I think, uh, just human psychology, like you see a coach that holds your best players accountable, even if you're not one of the best players, you think that's like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like that respect level is going to be there. But when it's like, you have an individual that's telling you, or he gets you know upset with you or whatever for doing stuff. And then you see the other individual that's, you know, a really good player that gets away with that stuff. You're never going to have that cohesive. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the reality. I don't, I, I have a hard time believing that, you know what I mean? Like that, that culture that you're trying to develop. And that's obviously, I think that's one of the, I mean, I've, I've been in enough situations where I've been around some very, very, very talented college players that were, this isn't a, a fault on, I'm not trying to lay blame on anyone, but it's like, you got away with a lot of stuff I can tell at high school. Like, that's just a reality. Like I can tell you've never been held to a standard. You could show up whenever you wanted. You were still going to play. You know what I mean? And that's the ultimate. Are you going to take playing time away? That's the, that's the, that's one of the most powerful things that you can do to hold someone accountable is like, Hey, you didn't do this. You're suspended the first half or you're not playing this game or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and that's how hard is that as a coach? You know what I mean? If it's like, Hey, I've got kind of like that example that you had, I've got him, I've got this stud D tackle and then probably his second string or third string, there's a big drop off. You know what I mean? So how hard is it you as a coach to be like, mm, it'd be one thing if you got a couple of them, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, but when you know that there's going to be a big drop off, that's the hard part as a coach. You know what I mean? Is that you got to, you all, you know what I mean? Like that's where, it, and that's where I see a lot of times um, relation to that of like, you see super talented, younger, we'll say eighth grade, freshman, sophomore, from a skill development standpoint, they're able to get away or they're not, they're not working on the things that they should be. You know what I mean? I, the, the best example I have is about, basketball example all right you can be a, a, a freak athlete great skilled or whatever without a left hand let's say you only have a right hand you can still be a dominant high school player with that you can probably go to college for the most part depending on how good you are and be a dominant player but is there going to come a level where you need a left hand and now let me ask you if you go your whole college career and now you get to the nba and it's like oh i need a left hand do you think you're going to just develop a left hand like that when you're playing with the best players in the world, do you have a skill that you don't have? And is it just good? You know what I mean? Like that's something that should have been developed at 15, but you know what happens is, Hey, you know what? I'm the freshman or whatever coach. I'd rather him put up 30 points right now, just with the right hand. than Hey, I'd rather you put up 20 points, but you're working on your left hand in the game. Cause what's going to make that individual better a year or two years down, two years down the line having that left hand. And that's what people just get so infatuated with these statistics and these other numbers when it's like a 14 year old. That's why I told you the squats. I don't care about what you squat. I want you to move good. You know what I mean? Cause it's the same. You see it all the time. Oh, my 13 or 14 year olds hitting 474 hit six home runs or whatever. And you see him and he's like, dude, you're pulling the ball every, you 
how about you work on hitting to the opposite field? That's going to make you better at 17. You know what I mean? Because are you just going to start developing that skill at 17 or 18 when you're facing better pitching and better whatever? No, but that's what takes discipline. And that's what actually good coaching is. And that's one of the things that you probably will never be able to quantify that. Because if I'm working with a 14 year old, am I probably going to be working with that individual when he's 17 or 18? There's a good chance I won't be. You know what I mean? But the good coaching job will show up at seven or 18, but that will just say that coach won't get credit for it. If that, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? And that's, that's why not to go on a tangent here, but like when you talk about club sports and the other stuff, do you think that club, your, your 14 year old's club sport coach, you think he cares about you at 18 or you think a lot, I'm not saying everyone, but there's a lot of, you want to win this tournament. You know what I mean? Like, so as the parent or whatever, you're the one that needs to be like, you're going to, it's your child. You're the one that needs to be looking at and have a general concept of, you know what? I want him to be good at 18. I don't want him to have Tommy John surgery and not be able to play his senior year because my 14-year-old club coach just wanted to throw 150 innings with him so he could win all these tournaments and trophies and ribbons and whatever. You know what I mean? And that's what that's tangent rant, whatever. But that goes back into the concept of long-term skill development, all these different factors that go into it, not just trying to get an immediate short-term, win a tournament, win five games, make myself look good. Rant yeah, man. <laughs> that i mean i think we probably should end it right there because that's just just that last five minutes is i think that's the entire crux of a lot of people's issues at least at the high school level in terms of the ones that want to do it right is is trying to one fight ego whether it's their own or the kid or the parent. And two, it's understanding that the difficulty on the front end of establishing standards pays off on the long end and just keep fighting that fight. Just keep fighting that fight, right? Obviously, we all have to pick and choose battles. There's just some days where it's just it's just not the day for, for those, for that small minute of an issue. Uh, whatever it might be, everybody has their their line. Uh, but but generally, you know, if, if we could just do better about understanding long term development, you know, and that's the ugly side of our of our jobs is it's tied to wins and losses. It's not and and does wins and losses equal quality, or is it just a quantity thing? So that, like you said. Uh, said district can have these trophies this and lay claim to this deal at the expense of these kids, or are you more interested in ensuring that I'm going to give this person time to develop a program to develop these kids? Because at the end of the day, there's a very small number that go on to play at the collegiate level and an even smaller number to go on and play at the professional level. And I don't care how many developmental leagues you can come up with. None of them are ever going to equal the big money payouts that MLB, NBA, NFL, um, NHL, whatever, that are going to be able to dish out. Like, it's just not. So, yeah, we're bringing back the USFL. We'll be the XFL was there and it seemed a good, it seemed decent this go around. But now where is that? Now where is it at? Um, you know, I think they've tried. Oh, hey, I hope so. I would love, I would love for him to challenge the NFL, um, and, and to have a sustainable deal. But unfortunately right now there's just a massive monopoly on that. And until there's a better competitive model, it's just not, you know, it, there's only going to be so many options and opportunities, but you can move well for the rest of your life. If you take to heart what you, uh, what what Missy's doing, what you know, guys like Monty Sparkman, Kyle Keese, all people across this entire country are trying to do, um, you know, in terms of movement development, and they're not so infatuated with big ass numbers. Uh, it's more about a quality thing. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Well, man. I, I know we could go on and on and it's, it, I'm, I'm so glad we finally got to do this. Um, 
I, I, I had an idea of how intense you were. I didn't realize truly how intense you were, but I love it. Um, it's still a goal of mine to come up and see you in action, like in all of, in all the glory. Hopefully it's not, a, you know, if I ever get that chance to do it, it's not a day where you're up, down in the crap out of them, but uh, oh, yeah, for I can, sure. I can learn just as much on that day than any other day, but. No, yeah, well, yeah. Should be good. Like I said, anytime you want to come up, especially like this summer, we should have, um, you know, a plethora of from eighth, you know, middle school to, to football to, to our non football high school kids, you know, pretty much running back to back to back. So, um, yeah. wide, wide array and obviously a wide array of teaching, coaching, um, you know, I guess methods, angles that kind of go into that. So, yeah. So for the people that don't follow you, that might all of a sudden find this guy who's pounding on the desk and breaking his keyboard, um, <laughs> You know, where, where's the easiest, best way to find you uh, on social media and, and, and reach out to you if they want to ask more questions? Um, I guess probably just, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram. Um, my handle on both those is just my first and my last name, Joey, J-O-E-Y, Burglis, B-E-R-G-L-E-S, um, you know, on both those. I, that's probably the best. I think I told, so, I told somebody else, like, I try and keep Facebook to uh, – I don't, I don't, I never post on Facebook, but I try and keep it to like personal, my friend got married. I could scroll through a timeline and not try and really see anything related to strength conditioning or like kind of stuff like that. So I kind of try and keep Facebook. Uh... Hope you enjoyed today's episode with coach Joey Burglis. Remember to follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Watch what he posts. It's always great stuff. He graves, he gives great feedback. Don't hesitate to reach out. I'm glad I did. Thanks again for coming on the podcast coach. Everybody have a great, safe summer. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. Really hope you enjoyed today's guest. Don't forget to leave a like and a review. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast fix from. Ratings and reviews really help us reach more viewers. Peace out. Have a nice day. Be the change you want to see in the world.